Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 3. It's a good thing I'm not a wandering pastor because I would trip all over this thing. So I don't know how pastors do that. Have you guys ever watched Ravi Zacharias preach? So he doesn't stand at his pulpit, but what he does is he'll, you know, he paces back and forth on the, the stage, and as he walks past the pulpit, he glances like that at his notes, and that glance is enough for him to talk for 15 minutes. And then he'll make his way back, and he'll glance at his notes, and I just, I don't know how he does it. But anyway, he's not doing it anymore. He's actually singing the Lord's praises in heaven. So, Yeah. All right, well, we've been away from the text for a little bit now, and uh, so I think it would be responsible for us to kind of regain our bearings and get our minds back into the context of what we've been talking about. So let me review with you. Uh, There are some new people this morning, so I might as well catch you up as well. Um, Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian Christians because he had gotten word from someone that they had been infiltrated by these Jewish false teachers that we have called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers had essentially poisoned the minds of the Galatians, these primarily Gentile Christians, in two ways. They sowed doubt in their minds concerning Paul's apostolic authority, and then they preached what Paul calls a perverted gospel, um, saying that true righteousness that pleases God is achieved by keeping the law of Moses. Okay? Faith was sufficient, they would say, perhaps for salvation, but it's not sufficient for sanctification. Okay? It's not good enough uh, to continue on in the Christian life, uh, they would say. And so in Galatians 1 and 2, Paul had to spend some time proving uh, that his apostolic authority had actually come from Christ himself, And then he begins after that to instruct them uh, in in regard to the true gospel of Jesus, which is the gospel of faith. But in chapter 3, Paul changes his tone a little bit, and uh, he begins to name call a little bit, uh, rebuking them and correcting them. And that's where we left off last time. Uh, The first section of chapter 3, Paul began by confronting their foolishness by asking them a few questions, a series of questions. And the question in verse two is about how they received the Holy Spirit for salvation, okay? He's essentially saying, did you get saved by keeping the law or by faith in what you heard, speaking of the gospel? And clearly it was by faith that they were saved and it had nothing to do with keeping the law. And then in verse three, Paul's asking them, by what means they were currently being perfected. Now being uh, made perfect refers to the process by which uh, we become more like Jesus. The process is called sanctification, where the believer is transformed uh, progressively uh, into the likeness of Jesus, his character, his morals, his values, and so forth. Well, the Galatians had clearly received the Holy Spirit for salvation by faith, But how were they being sanctified? How were they being perfected? Was it by faith, as it was for salvation, or was it by the works of the flesh? That is, were they being sanctified by their own efforts to keep the law? 
Now, the answer to that question is essential. It's essential, okay? Is there one way for salvation and then a different way for sanctification? Now, from Paul's argument so far, a person cannot be saved or be sanctified by keeping the law. So in verse 3, Paul says, are you so foolish? He's saying, are you so foolish to think that? Foolishness. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, Paul said that he had to die to the law in order to live to God and the life which he now lives, the life that he's currently living as a believer, he's doing it by faith in the Son of God. He could have cleared everything up for everyone and said, I do it by keeping the law. He didn't say that. He said, I do it by faith in the Son of God, not by the law. So he's not trying to be sanctified by law keeping. He's living by faith purely in the Son of God. So the Galatians were tricked into thinking this by the Judaizers, that I can be sanctified. I can achieve the righteousness that God requires in my life if I just give enough attention to the law. Okay? It will make me more like Christ if I do this. But Paul says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, you've been bewitched. And then verse 3 says, are you so foolish? This is foolishness. Because we're saved by faith and we're sanctified by the same. Neither one has anything to do with the law. And then to further drive Paul's point, he brings up the issue of Abraham. Now, I, I love the, the argument from Abraham. Paul uses it here. He'll use it again later in Galatians. But he also uses it in Romans chapter 4. It's the perfect place to turn to because of the circumstances, okay? Um, Abraham was justified by faith alone without the law. We know that, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. But he also lived for God by faith alone without the law, without the law. How did he do that? Well, he had to because there was no law. There was no law at all, okay? God gave the law to Moses 430 years after Abraham died. There was no law to keep. So for Abraham, it had to all be of faith, both salvation and sanctification. And so Paul concludes that only those who are of faith are the children of Abraham, and only those who believe are blessed with believing Abraham. Those who come to God by faith, they're saved. And those who live by faith are being sanctified, or as Paul said earlier, they are being perfected being perfected. They're being made complete in Christ. And then this blessing of Abraham who lived by faith is held in contrast to those who keep the law for righteousness. And that brings us to the next section of Galatians. So uh, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. I know that was a long review and introduction, but um, I think it was necessary. I'm going to be reading to you Galatians chapter 3, Verses 9 through 14. Paul says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone. I say cursed. Some people like cursed. What sounds better to you? Cursed or cursed? What sounds darker? (laughs) Cursed or cursed? There's no agreement in here. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed 
is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we don't want to fall into the foolishness of the Galatians and think for a moment that the righteousness that you desire in the life of the believer is something that the believer can accomplish on his own. It's just impossible. We need your spirit. And Lord, I just pray that as Paul is trying to deplete and diminish their confidence in their own abilities, Lord, that that would be a good reminder to us. Strip us of our self-confidence to be good enough. So Lord, that it would turn our hearts to trust the Spirit more as we walk in his strength. Lord, teach us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Yeah. So return again, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to read a little bit differently to you to uh, appease the other people in the room. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the law, the book of the law, to do them. So the contrast is, is clear. Those who are of faith, they're blessed. Those who are of the works of the law are what? They're cursed. They're cursed, yeah. Those who live by faith, as Abraham did, they're the ones that are blessed. But those who are trying to keep the law to be righteous end up being cursed. They're cursed. So this perverted gospel of the Judaizers leads to a curse. Paul is trying to intercept them. He's trying to recover them from this, as the King James would say, this damnable heresy. Now, we have to keep in mind through the context of Galatians that these people were not trying to get saved by keeping the law. They are already saved, okay? They are trying to be sanctified. The Judaizers tricked them into thinking they needed to keep the law to be made righteous. Paul says it's a curse. To make his point in verse 10, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Cursed is everyone. Okay? The, now, the, the passage here, of course, has a historical context that I think is really important. Uh, what is happening in the context of Deuteronomy 27 is the Israelites are camping on the east side of the Jordan River. And what is happening is Moses is giving them these final instructions before they cross over and, and claim the land of promise. And Moses was telling the Israelites that when they crossed over the Jordan, they were to erect these large stones, they were to whitewash them with lime, and on the stones they were to record all of the, the words of the law. And once in the land, the 12 tribes of Israel, they were to be divided. Six tribes were to stand on Mount Gerizim. 
and the other six tribes facing them on Mount Ebal. You guys probably remember the story. And then the Levites were to pronounce all the curses of disobedience upon the people. And then after each pronouncement, the people would say, Amen. Apparently they didn't know better. Okay. At that time, the priest said this, Cursed is the one who makes carved or molded images. And the people would respond by saying, Don't say it. Amen. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And the people said, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And the people said, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind wander off the path. Who would do such a thing? And the people said, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts justice. Again, Amen. Cursed is the one who practices sexual morality. And the people said, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbors secretly. And they said, Amen. And cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay the innocent. And finally, they said, Amen. And at the conclusion of all this, which is definitely an abbreviation of what the Levites were supposed to do, they said what Paul repeated in verse 10. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the law. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the law. You know, to be cursed of God has no appeal for me. It's just not appetizing at all. Yeah, only a fool would want to be of the works of the law. Now, those people today who say that Paul is only referring to the ceremonial law in these particular contexts where Paul says that we're not bound to the law are really as duped as the Galatians were because none of the commands in Deuteronomy 27 fit into their category of what is ceremonial. None of them. Not a single one. Uh, Every one of them is moral. In fact, four of them can be found in the Ten Commandments, which according to their categorization is the moral law. So when Paul says the law, understand he's talking about everything that was delivered to Moses. Everything. Okay, And that's what he means every time he references the law in the New Testament. So the curse is upon everyone who tries to keep anything in the law to become righteous. Isn't that what he's saying? Yeah. There's a context to verse 10. It's called Deuteronomy 27. And we cannot remove it from its context. Okay. Paul knew very well what he was doing. Now, why would those who are of the law be cursed? Because the law demands moral perfection, something of which you cannot provide. You can't do it. Okay? Yeah. Man is a moral failure in every way, in his motives, in his thoughts, his words, his deeds. He is incapable of avoiding the curse if he is of the works of the law. Okay? Yeah. Now the Pharisees, it's interesting, they had a way of, a slimy way of getting around this. Okay? And so what they would do is they interpreted the commandments to make them humanly reasonable, to make them you know, possible to keep. And that's probably part of what Paul is saying in Philippians 3 when he says, you know, according to the law is blameless. Well, at least according to rabbinical tradition, but not according to the essence of the law, which he discovered later and said, the law killed me. Okay, yeah. Well, God knew in advance that his people would do this to the law. 
And so he had Isaiah prophesy about something the Messiah would do when he showed up in Israel. It says, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. Isaiah 42, 21. Yeah. Isaiah said that the Messiah would exalt the law and make it honorable. So when did Jesus do that? When did he do that? Well, he did it on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, which really is the most radical sermon that's ever been preached. Okay? It's the most radical sermon because Jesus taught elevating it to its rightful place, that it demands absolute perfection. It's interesting, in, the, the, in Matthew 5, six times Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. And he says that in verse 21, verse 27, verse 31, 33, 38, and 43. You have heard that it was said. And what he's referring to is he's referring to the rabbinical teaching of the rabbis, this oral tradition, their interpretation of certain passages of scripture. And uh, so Jesus says after that, but I say to you, and then he taught the people what God meant by the commandment. And it's not pretty. I much prefer the rabbinical tradition. Okay? Because when Jesus is done, (laughs) we're done. Okay? We're done. Jesus taught that anger is the same as murder to God. Okay. (laughs) Lust is the same as adultery to God. Divorce, apart from fornication, is adultery. To swear an oath on anything but your word is of the devil. A heart of retaliation is evil to God. To hate those who hate you is contrary to the heart of God. Now, Jesus could have given example after example after example. If you've just uh, dabbled in the Talmud, which is uh, what Jesus is referring to, it's the, the rabbi's interpretation, mostly of the law, you would see many examples that Jesus could have given. But in Jesus' teaching, he's just demonstrating the moral perfection demanded in the law. He's exalting it. He's making it honorable, restoring its perfection. And by doing so, he made it impossible for any human being other than himself to obey it. And that was very intentional. He concluded that part of his sermon this way, you must be perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. And then he goes right into the next part of the sermon. What would you have done at the close of that part? I would have raised my hand. (laughs) I would have had some questions, okay? Because the doctrine of justification wasn't yet revealed. And I would like to know, how do I get there? Because as Peter says, neither we nor our fathers have ever kept the law. We haven't done it, okay? Yeah, who's up for that challenge? Paul, his point in this is if you're keeping the law to be made righteous, you'll fail, and then you'll be cursed because Jesus said you must be perfect even as the Father in heaven is perfect, which none of us are capable of. And so what we're coming to with Paul's own conclusion, which he'll make later, is that God never intended for us to keep the law to become righteous. Okay? The law has another purpose, which Paul will talk about later in the chapter. We won't hit it today so much. But for now, those who are of the works of the law are cursed. And the history of Israel proves this. Okay? Because of their rebellion, they suffered famine, hunger, disease, slavery, exile, captivity, dispersion, death, destruction. And currently today, they're under divine chastisement. Okay? It's a mess. 
So the Christian has to understand that we're no better than Israel and therefore the law will never be a blessing to us. It will never be a blessing to us. It will always be a curse because it's just a matter of time. And for most of us, it's not a a lot of matter of time before we sin again, okay? So we can't be saved by the law and we can't be sanctified by it. We can only be cursed by the law, okay? But if we can't be sanctified by obeying the law, how then are we to live for God? How then are we to live for God? Every time I teach on this subject, this is a question somebody comes to me with. Well, if not the law, then, I mean, how do we live for God? I get that question every single time. Verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Or we could say the righteous man or woman shall live by faith. Faith. Now Paul is, is quoting uh, Habakkuk 2.4. The just do not live by the law, but by faith. Again, just like Abraham, who did not have the law, what was he supposed to do? He could only do one thing. He could only live by faith. He could only live by faith. And so like Abraham, we should live by faith. And then guess what follows? Righteousness. Sanctification. Okay? Practical righteousness produced by faith living. But can't we keep the law by faith? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit helps us do by faith? Verse 12, yet the law is not a faith. The law is not a faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. (laughs) So the law is not a faith. So no one can keep the law by faith to become righteous. Try as hard as you want and you'll just be cursed. The law is not a faith. Keeping the law is a work of human effort, or as Paul said back in verse 3, it's a work of the flesh. So you cannot keep the law by faith. But then Paul, he quotes Leviticus 18.5 saying, the man who does them shall live by them. The man who keeps the law or the commandments perfectly, that is, shall live by them. But because no man keeps the commandments perfectly from birth until death, what does he remain under? The curse. That's right. Now, Paul discovered this truth after he was saved. After he was saved. He was trying to be a good Jewish boy by keeping the law because that's what Jews do. That's how he was raised. But his experience proved that he was too morally broken. He was too morally broken to abide by the law's perfect demand. So Paul concluded this way, speaking to the Romans, he said, and the commandment which was to bring life And he has that passage in mind. He says, I found to bring death. Sound like a curse to you? For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Romans 7, 10 through 11. That's a curse, isn't it? It's a curse. That is actually the law functioning as God intended so that we would walk by faith in the spirit. Okay, But that's for another time. Verse 13 Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is, ever, sorry, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The curse of the law, which is death, is the sentence placed upon all humanity because of sin. But Christ, who is morally perfect, redeemed us from the law's curse by being cursed in our place. Yeah. The word redeemed means to purchase or to buy back. That is, he gave his life as a currency. What were we bought with? The precious blood of Christ, okay? 
It was his life in exchange for ours. You see, the curse of the law, which we all deserve, abided over us and could suddenly and justly drop like the blade of a guillotine. Suddenly and justly. But Christ intercepted us, not only removing us from danger, but taking the curse, our curse, upon himself when he was nailed to the tree at Calvary. So listen, Christ could not simply remove us from the just penalty of our sin because that in itself would violate justice. He could not do that. It would be like rescuing a hardened criminal from the punishment he deserved. That wouldn't be justice. That would be a jailbreak to avoid justice, right? Okay. Jesus didn't avoid or violate justice. He removed the sinner from judgment, and then he took the sinner's place in judgment. That's how he redeemed us. He took the curse upon himself, the one that we deserved, when he was nailed to the cross. Just as the law says, he who is hanged is accursed of God, Deuteronomy 21, 23. That's where Paul is quoting. It's interesting. Uh, Galatians 3.13 is saying the same thing that Jesus said uh, in Mark 10.45. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life a ransom for many. He purchased us with his own life. You know, the text here is really important in Mark 10. Um, when, he, when Jesus says and to give his life a ransom, it's to give his life as a payment. Uh, the word ransom there in the Greek is lutron, and it, it means to purchase out of slavery. And the word for, mean, it's, it's anti, it means in the place of. Not simply for the sake of. That's, that's hooper, that's a different Greek word. This word is anti, it means in the place of, in someone else's stead. In order for him to purchase us, He had to stand in our place in judgment. Otherwise, there could be no purchase. It had to be his life for our own. His life for our own. That's how he purchased us. And then Paul answers the question, you know, why would he do that? Verse 14. That, or so that, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So there's two things in the verse there. There's, there's the blessing of Abraham, and then there's the promise of the Spirit. What, what are those two things? Well, the blessing of Abraham has to do with Genesis 15, 6, where God makes this promise. He, he reveals himself to Abraham. He makes these promises to Abraham, and it says Abraham believed in the Lord, and then God attributed that to him for righteousness. That isn't that simple. He just believed what God said, and God attributed that to him for righteousness, okay? That is exactly uh, how we are justified before God. That's exactly it. Paul bases his whole argument for justification on that verse in Romans chapter three and four, okay? Just that verse. It's exactly how we are justified, okay? But the promise of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with justification. He plays no part in the doctrine of justification, that's, that's between Jesus and the Father, purely. Now, the Spirit plays a role in regeneration, where we are quickened unto God, okay? Because we were dead in sins, and then he made us alive in Christ, okay? But the promise of the Spirit here 
is referring to sanctification. Has everything to do with sanctification. Producing righteousness in the life of the believer. That is his peculiar work that is ongoing every day as we trust him. Here's how Paul said it to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Interesting that he would address liberty from the law in 2 Corinthians. He's going to talk about liberty from the law here in Galatians later. He'll say, it is, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Or stand fast, another translation, in the liberty with which Christ has set us free. And he's talking about freedom from the law. Same here in 2 Corinthians. The Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. How? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What's he doing? He's transforming us. So the Spirit's work in sanctification is a work of moral and spiritual transformation where he's making the believer, as the text says, from glory to glory into the same image, that is, of the Lord, of Christ. It's transformation. It's the Holy Spirit who energizes the life of the believer to live righteously. He makes it possible for the just to live by faith. Without him, it's impossible. So the law is not what we need to live or how we live the Christian life. It'll only curse us. We need the Spirit to live for God. Okay? The gospel doesn't just save the believer. It empowers and sanctifies the believer. It's everything. So I'm going to quote an old poem to you, which I think is a great illustration of this. Nobody knows who wrote it. Aren't they the best? John Bunyan adjusted the poem for himself, which that's the one I'm going to read for you. You guys know John Bunyan? Pilgrim's Progress. Okay. He says this, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. I should have just started with that and said amen. Yeah. You guys, we have to learn to walk by faith as we trust in the Spirit. Only He can give you wings. Okay. Now when we return to the text, um, the next section, Paul's going to explain God's real purpose for the law, which I think is really refreshing and helps us get beyond this, um, what does Peter say? The, um, uh, the, basically the dumb traditions of our fathers. This, this stupid connection that we have to the law. When Paul keeps telling us we've been delivered from the law, we're not under the law, the law is a curse, but we keep going back to it. We keep going back to works. And so Paul's going to tell us what the law, its purpose is, and then we'll move into the life in the spirit, okay? So go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. Get you out of here. Long weekend with weddings, man. Can't wait to get into this bucket. <laughs> Hopefully it's DeWalt tools. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what it is about the human heart that is so foolish that it would turn to the curse of the law, to be under its dominion, its jurisdiction, and then always learning that it just kills us. It just condemns us. 
when life in the Spirit is just such a joy. Lord, I pray that you would release us from this strange commitment to the law and that we would learn day by day, Lord, to walk by faith, to be energized by the Spirit so that he might produce in us, as Paul will say later, this expectation of righteousness. Well, we want to be righteous. We just don't want to use the wrong means to get there. So Lord, help us, teach us to walk by faith. Lord, I thank you for my church family. And I pray that for each one of us, Lord, that you would just make us students of your grace, Lord. And that we would get to see the Spirit's life manifested in us. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.